Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we're going to dive into the amazing world of animal mimicry. There's no shortage of patterns, shapes, colors, and behaviors animals will use to copy someone or something else. Animals will mimic other animals, plants, rocks, or even poop. Whenever I see photos of leaf-mimicking insects, I can hardly believe what I'm looking at. They are so intricate, it boggles the mind how nature can do that. In this episode, we will look at two particular types of mimicry, Batesian and Mullerian. In these instances, animals attempt to look like other animals, but for different reasons. They don't bother trying to blend in with their environment to hide. In fact, in most cases, they are trying to stand out. We will explore the differences between the two types of mimicry and also discuss why an animal would want to mimic or be mimicked in the first place. Because this episode deals with animal patterns, I highly encourage you to watch this episode of the podcast on YouTube where I've compiled images of the animals in question, but you can always just give them a quick Google search after hearing their names just as well. Please just promise me you won't do that while driving. Let's get started. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you that if you like this content and you want to support me, there are links to my Patreon, Venmo, and more in the description on Spotify, or you can go to my YouTube channel and click in the link in the banner that says support the channel. You can also check me out on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search Planet Peterson on those platforms. Okay, back to the episode. I'm going to give you a prompt, and I want you to focus on whatever comes to mind. The prompt is poisonous animal. For the next few seconds, search your memory for those key words. I'm guessing you probably imagined something with vibrant colors, such as the poison dart frog. You may have imagined an animal that's venomous rather than poisonous, such as the lionfish, blue ring octopus, or gila monster, which also have striking patterns. This is a phenomenon known as aposematism. It is a way animals advertise to predators that they are poisonous, toxic, or venomous. Toxins and poisons, while effective, are costly chemicals to make. It requires the organism's body to expend energy for a threat that may not even come its way. What if a species evolved to copy the aposematic patterns without the trouble of manufacturing toxins? That is what's known as Batesian mimicry. Batesian mimicry is named after Henry Walter Bates. Bates was an English naturalist and explorer who was the first to describe animal mimicry scientifically. Bates's most famous work was in the Amazon rainforest, where he collected nearly 15,000 species, mostly insects. Bates was joined in his expedition by Alfred Russell Wallace, the co-discoverer of evolution by natural selection. But it was the careful study of butterflies that revealed to Bates how animals mimic one another. Bates observed that one particular group of butterflies, the heliconids, were abundant and lazy. I'm sure that being a beautiful butterfly is all fine and dandy, but they're not exactly built for defense or offense. Despite this, Bates noticed predatory birds or reptiles virtually never pestered heliconids. They're not camouflaged, fast, or release a foul-smelling odor. So what gives? The answer is, they are disgusting. As caterpillars, they feast on plants that cause poisonous chemicals to accumulate in their bodies. 
This carries all the way to adulthood and their butterfly stage. It's not enough to kill a predator, but animals are good at remembering the hair of the dog that bit them. Or rather, the scale of the butterfly that they bit. Heliconius butterflies are also distinctly colorful. The pattern is part two of their evolved survival strategy. While some unlucky predator will surely eat a Heliconius for the first time, not knowing any better, it will remember that pattern and avoid them next time. Bates also noticed something else. Freeloaders. There's a family of butterflies called Pieridae, which consists of around 1,100 species. Some of them have evolved to look indistinguishable from the toxic Heliconius. Because they do not feed on the same plants as caterpillars, they aren't truly toxic, but the mimicry helps them survive. There are several other examples of Batesian mimicry. There's the common Mormon butterfly, which mimics the common rose butterfly. The viceroy butterfly mimics the monarch butterfly, which is toxic due to its diet of milkweed. There's also the harmless king snake, which mimics, albeit imperfectly, the venomous coral snake. Red touch yellow, kill a fellow. Red touch black, venom lack. It's clear why this would be an advantage, but there's a dilemma. Natural selection is all about the odds. If you're born looking like one of the harmful animals, that increases your odds of survival. But if that were true, what's to stop the imposters from becoming just as common, if not more common, than the real ones? Once this happens, then mimicry loses its advantage. If harmful animals and their mimics come in equal numbers, then it's hard to imagine how this could reinforce predators to avoid them. Once mimics become more common than harmful ones, it becomes a disadvantage for the truly harmful animals to look like them because predators would associate the pattern more often than not with a harmless one. The bottom line is, Batesian mimicry works best if the mimics are less common than the poisonous, toxic, or venomous creatures they copy. So, how can those numbers be maintained? The answer comes when we dive deeper into what an evolutionary arms race truly looks like. Neither side ever stops innovating in an arms race, whether it be of a humankind or in nature. We must remember that animals that don't directly prey on one another are still competitors. When Batesian mimics are rare, they pose no real threat to the animal they copy. Once they become common, the animal they mimic has a vested interest in changing its warning signal. This does not always involve their color pattern, but can also involve changes to their movement. Because there's always variation in a population, selective pressure can favor more unique individuals. This will lead to directional selection, where individuals who make up the tail end of a normal distribution are selected more often, causing the population to change over time. We tend to think of nature as static, because most of us only get brief glimpses of it. But nature and the relationships between species are dynamic and always changing. So the solution here is that the warnings and patterns that toxic, poisonous, or otherwise harmful animals have don't stay the same forever. In this way, they can constantly innovate and make new signals to signal to predators, hey, I'm the one that you actually want to avoid, not those imposters. The other type of mimicry is Müllerian mimicry, named after Fritz Müller, a German naturalist who also gleaned his insights in the Amazon. What distinguishes Müllerian mimicry 
is that Mullerian mimicry is honest, not deceptive. For example, yellow jackets and honeybees are both harmful and both adopt the strategy of having alternating black and yellow bands. By contrast, harmless hoverflies also copy this appearance, which is Batesian. Several species of poison dart frog copy similar patterns of other species, but all are harmful, making it Mullerian. Another example. There's a type of bird in the genus Pitohui that lives in New Guinea. These birds have a toxic substance in their feathers and their skin. There are multiple species of this bird, and they all have distinct feather colorations. However, in areas where two species overlap, they mimic one another's patterns. By sharing warning patterns, Mullerian mimics reinforce their shared predators more often. Both species mutually benefit, so no arms race is necessarily going on. There are all kinds of reasons why an animal would have a particular pattern that it does. Sometimes it's an attempt to camouflage and blend in with their environment. Sometimes it's to send signals to potential mates. But in these cases, each animal wants to stand out in their environment, and they are trying to send a signal to a member of a different species. That is what makes these two types of mimicry unique. That does it for this episode. I'll see you next time.